Hello everyone, and welcome to the next stop in my journey for the search for Middle-earth. Joining me on my quest today to discuss chapters 8 and 9 of The Hobbit for the very first time, my good friend Aiden Garcia. How are you today? Hey, I'm, uh, I'm doing alright. What about you? You know, hanging in there. We're all in various states of disrepair right now, but uh, I've really been enjoying reading through this book and recording it for the podcast. Yeah, yeah um, I, th I think it's a cool idea for a podcast. I listened to the first couple episodes already. I really enjoyed episode zero, listening to you talk about everything you knew and yeah. just being like, oh. <laughs> everything so, I don't know, essentially. <laughs> yeah, basically. Yeah. Um, although, although I do want to confirm oh? that um, Gollum is, in fact, a foreskin monster. Yeah, yeah. That, I, that, that was, that was yeah. a 100% accurate prediction. That was... Yeah. That was, was accurate. I was totally That was actually the, the only thing you got right in the entire <laughs> episode zero. I was on the mark on that one, and that's it. Um, yeah, this is the first episode that is being recorded after I have released the episodes. I've stockpiled three episodes just so that I have enough window for myself to edit and record these. So this is the first episode that is being recorded in an area where... The episodes are out, so I guess I'll take this opportunity to thank everyone who's listening for the support I got on the first two episodes. It was incredible, and I can't wait for you guys to hear episode two and episode three, which are already out <laughs> when you're hearing this, and uh, and this one. So, yeah, let's jump right in. All right. So, uh, I get to kick us off here... What is your experience with Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit? I ask this of all my guests, uh, considering that I have no experience with The Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit. When did you first get introduced to it? Do you have any funny stories or anecdotes as to how far your obsession goes? Uh, all of that. Okay, so to be totally honest, I think I probably... I, my, my, my introduction really started with the movies. And I would say That's that fair. I probably saw the first one by the time I was like, Five, which mm -hmm. is maybe a questionable choice that my dad was like, it's time for you to watch orcs and, you know, goblins getting beheaded and stabbed and fighting each other to the death. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Never, never mind. I'm not going to go into that. Don't want to spoil it for you. Well, but, the previous guest was introduced at the age of three. So I think she has uh, you beat there. <laughs> she does. She does probably. But um, I have not read the books. Uh, for the Lord of the Rings, but I have read The Hobbit multiple times. I love this book. I think the first time I read it was like third grade. It's, um, it's a really great book. A lot of people are telling it me. It is. A lot of people are telling me, yeah, I read it when I was like a child. And I'm just sitting here like, uh, oops. Like, I kind of missed out on that. <laughs> hey, but you know what? I mean, what, 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 I mean, can there really be a better testament to the book as a whole? That that it still holds we all up. enjoyed it when we were kids, and yeah. you were in high school, and you're enjoying it. I mean, I am. I have grievances with it, but I am enjoying it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah. I there are things I don't like about his writing, but mm. overall, I really enjoy it. Um, only the thing I would say, if we're gonna talk about how far my obsession goes, um, I've seen the movies probably easily over a hundred times at this point, all three of them, mm -hmm. and I watched the extended editions which means that basically it's like 15 hours of movies. And I have on probably at least 20 to 50 occasions in my life sat down on a Saturday and watched 15 hours of movies. 20 to 50 occasions in my life. Yes. That's quite I have, the range. It's, 
it's a it's a big range, but that just tells you how it's just blurred together at this point. I have seen them so many times. Yeah, I every... quote along to like half the movie, and you know what? The ridiculous thing is, I've seen it so many times, and I cry at the end of the last one every time. Every single time, every yep. single <laughs> goddamn guest that has come on this freaking podcast has gushed about how good the movies are, and I they're just, incredible. And I'm they're my favorite movies here. ever. I'm just sitting here frustrated because I can't watch any of the movies until I finish the damn books because of the structure of this podcast. So Yeah, I mean... Because I can't watch the Hobbit movies first because they reference the Lord of the Rings, apparently, quite a lot. Uh, so... Um, actually, I, w- I would say not that extensively. I think in small bits, yeah. I would argue that you could, for the most part, watch them. Um... I'm going to get a lot of different opinions I will opinions say on this. that all I'm going to say, okay, is that the entire last Hobbit book, it, sorry, movie, mm-hmm. is basically five pages in the book. That's and insane. I think, it's, I think it's super obnoxious, yeah. and it's my least favorite one. I'm, um, as I've been reading... See. As I've been reading this book, I'm trying to, like, imagine in my mind, so where does the first movie end? And where does the second movie end? Like, just trying to trying to space these things out in my head. And I'm like, I'm already halfway through this book, and I feel like this would just... This this is a movie. Like, this does not need to be three. Um. No, you know, there definitely didn't need to be. Yeah. Um, but anyway... Um, but Twilight and Harry Potter set a precedent, so... <clears throat> They, they they did they yeah. had to do this <laughs> so so yeah. anyway book switching yeah exactly switching topics from the movies let's jump into what i can talk about which is chapters 8 and 9 of the hobbit so chapter 8 is entitled flies and spiders and the first thing i have written down is i know there's a giant spider at some point in either the movie or the book is this what that is because of the word spider um which I mean, I'm I'm not sure. I think there might be there might be more spiders in the Lord of the Rings. Um, um to no. ask you a question vaguely, if you're thinking about the spider, there are a lot of spiders in this in these chapters. But none of them. None are of the them spider. are the spider. Okay. The spider. Is okay. Much later. Okay. Okay. Good. Good to know because I like like you heard me say in episode zero. I know there is a spider, and I know he or she is a big deal. Not this book. Not okay. Good to know. So didn't know if we had that box checked off yet. So. The whole start of this chapter is dedicated to explaining just how miserable the entire crew is. Even the dwarves, who are used to how dark and dangerous it usually is in the caves that they explore, even the dwarves are getting spooked. So, imagine how poor Bilbo Baggins must be feeling right now. No, absolutely. I mean, I just, like, this entire chapter, um, part of why I like this is I just feel like, like, this whole time they're in Mirkwood, mm-hmm. I feel like you can just sort of feel how miserable yes. and how like gloomy it is and how never ending it feels. You can feel the dread. You really can. Yes. And, and I think it's so good. I have written here, Tolkien is really channeling his inner Edgar Allan Poe for these forest descriptions. <laughs> it's very dark and dreary and Halloween. And I love it. It's fantastic. So, yes. Everyone else in the story is terrified, but I'm just like, 
this is epic. This is everything I wanted. The first half of this book, which, by the way, chapter eight is pretty much the midpoint of the entire book. So we're, we're halfway through, ladies and gentlemen. But the first half of the book was, like, all mountain exploration. And I was getting a little bit sick of it um, when we reached chapter seven. And I'm so glad that there is a different kind of terror to face here. So... Yeah, you're in the Misty Mountains for a while. Yeah. And it, it gets old. You get riddles spot. in the dark, which is a great chapter. Oh, yeah. But, mm-hmm. but a lot, still a lot of caves and, and all that. So, yeah. as they are trudging through, they are trying to light torches to see their way. And each time they try this, they are swarmed with thousands of gray furry moths as big as a hand. Which I don't care who anyone says. That is the scariest thing to happen in this book so far. Oh my god! <laughs> like every no, time I mean, you I'm light a be torch. I'm, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm scared of regular moths already. <laughs> a moth as big as a hand just comes swarming to like. Ugh, ugh, I, mm. Oh yeah, I mean, Sca- what trolls, goblins, mm. golem? Forget Sca- about it. Scary hand forest moth. moths. Scary forest moths. No, 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 no. So. After many days of near insanity, they finally reach the stream that Bayorn had warned them about in the previous chapter and begin brainstorming on how to get across it because Bayorn told them that uh, it has some kind of thing that will either kill you or erase all your memories forever, I believe, uh, is what they said. Bilbo and Thorin make a great duo here for the first time in this book because apparently this is a skill set that we never learn about, but apparently Bilbo can just see better than all of the dwarves. I'm pretty sure this is the first time this ability is mentioned, but he just busts out some Einstein level 1000 IQ moves. Like He's like, oh yeah, yeah, there's a boat on the other side of the river, and everyone's like, the fuck? When? Where? When did this happen? When did you learn how to see this good? <laughs> he's just he's just built different. He's <laughs> he really is. That's that's the exact point. So he convinces them to try and throw a rope to the other side of the river and tether it to the boat. And Bilbo really gets his um, you know, the meme with the the lady with the algebra like flying all around her and like she's like figuring all this shit out like i really feel that is exactly what bilbo that's what i was thinking about too (laughs) that's exactly what's happening to bilbo here is like holy shit okay we do this and we do that we tie the hook to the rope and we throw the like everything is bilbo just busts out some insane intelligence for the pretty much the first time in this series and i'm like where is this coming from oh my goodness (laughs) so he's sherlock yeah for sure Uh, This is the best show of teamwork the entire group has shown so far. Uh, Feely, the strongest, chucks the rope at the boat and latches it on after one or two attempts, uh, Bilbo telling him what adjustments to make and, uh, you know, how to move it left or right and all this and all that. And he pulls with immense strength and an epic tug-of-war game ensues between the dwarves and this dinky boat. The... (laughs) I feel like a complete wrestling match is going on. Just 13 warrior dwarves and one hobbit versus one rotting wooden boat loosely tied to the other side. Fight! Like, what? It's literally, they describe that every single dwarf just 
grabs hold of this rope and is pulling as hard as they can. I'm like, how hard is this ro- is this dinky little fucking paddle boat tethered to the other side? Um. Anyway, so they tug and they tug and they tug, and they finally get it untangled. But all of the dwarves fall over from the whiplash, and Bilbo makes a football-worthy dive into the boat. And Balin just barely manages to catch him with a stick before it flows down the river, taking Bilbo with it. And this only takes up about a page of book time, but I read this over like two or three times. because This was just epic to imagine. Like, this is the biggest, as I have said, this is the biggest show of teamwork that the crew has shown so far. And it is really, really cool to see all of them working their strengths to their best possible capacity and tethering this boat. It was it's the simplest little task, but Tolkien makes it seem really really epic. No, yeah, and I I definitely I agree it's uh like it, to me it's significant that you know this is them really working together because I think up until this point like even though there's like a sense of camaraderie, yeah. it's still kind of like you can tell these people aren't really used to traveling with each other, mm-hmm. especially with Bilbo. Especially but, with yeah. Bilbo. Especially with Bilbo. Yeah. But yeah, I mean they're they're slowly starting to, and that, that's one of the things that I love about these two chapters is we we see them slowly starting to become closer as a crew, and that that also happened uh, with chapters six and seven with um, the the tenure at Bayorns as well. Like they're they're bonding in different ways uh, as the journey progresses, which is nice. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yes. So Balin tries to lighten the mood after all of them are super stressed out from almost losing their way past through the forest. And he just goes, oh, good catch, lads, eh? Who goes first? And I just love <laughs> that Bal- Balin's just doing his best to, to lighten everybody up here. And Thorin, as de facto group leader slash team captain in middle school gym, breaks the group up into fours and totally plays favorites here. This is, this is bullshit. He puts himself first and then Bilbo, Feely, and Balin, a.k.a. the ones that just saved everyone's asses back at the river. Um, so the immediately most useful dwarves get put in first, and Bomber gets the last journey. And I immediately thought, oh, it's because he's fat, isn't it? And Thorin goes, oh, by the way, it's because you're fat. Which, <laughs> Thorin, like, Jesus Christ, like, come on, have some, have some <laughs> compassion for poor Bomber here. Especially because of what happens next. Especially because of that. So, the comment... No, yeah. Yeah. The comment stings even worse because right as everyone, everyone but Bomber has made it across, a random-ass deer just decides to go extreme panic mode at this exact moment and nearly tramples the entire crew, leaps over the river, Hits Bomber in the face, knocking him into the water. Which, oh my god. I was audiobooking this chapter the same as I audiobooked the last two chapters. And this was so shocking to me. I was—I remember exactly where I was. I was doing the dishes. And I heard, like, Bomber falls into the river. And I went, what the fuck? Like, I nearly <laughs> dropped a plate. This is, like... What the fuck was going on with this one specific deer that he just decides to go full asshole and just completely flip out 
on poor Bomber. I just... He gets absolutely fucking clonked in the head <laughs> by a flying deer and almost dies. <laughs> I... I for real thought that this was the end of Bomber. Like, this was the last we were going to see of him. And I wrote down a note. I said, Thorin's last words to Bomber really were, sorry, you're fat, bro. Like, <laughs> That's it. That's like, it. You're done. Like, you're I'm, fat, now you're dead. You're fat, and now you're dead. It is your fault. Like, Thorin, bit, bit of an asshole move there. <laughs> but, I mean... Isn't an asshole move really kind of in character for Thorne? Yeah, he's he's very, um, he's looking out for his self-interest. That's the entire purpose of this quest, is I am trying to reclaim my kingdom. <laughs> like, Yeah, yeah, pretty much. So it doesn't, though, before I knew what happens here, because I'm, I'm writing these notes as I'm reading the book, it doesn't technically say that he's dead, it says that he is asleep, which is telling me that someone might be able to help him. God forbid if it's Gandalf, I hate that high horse magic spells motherfucker. <laughs> Gandalf is the worst fucking character in the series, listen, I know everybody loves Gandalf, and I know I've already talked about this in episode 2 and episode 3, but holy cow, fuck Gandalf. This guy is the biggest asshole I have ever read about, and I am so glad that these chapters are completely Gandalf-free. I just, I, like, Gandalf vanishes, and we see the best teamwork that the group has displayed. It's because there's no Gandalf. Just saying. Just putting that out there. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. There's something to, I, There's just something to me. I just enjoy that Gandalf is there and everything's mm -hmm. going fine. And then he just, every once in a while, he's just like, alright, I'm just gonna it's... go now. He's like, I'm just gonna disappear. I'm just gonna step so out. Much. And then he just comes back in. That like It's basically like, I'm sure this isn't really happening, but it feels like Tolkien's like, okay, so let's get rid of Gandalf for a while so that the hobbits and the dwarves can, you know, grow on their own. Yeah, have and he's some just hardship. writing. He writes them, he writes, yeah, and have some hardship. He writes them into a corner and he's like, there's no way they can do this. Mm -hmm. And I think he just sits there. He's like, how can they solve this problem? And then he's just, Gandalf. Gandalf. <laughs> Gandalf. <laughs> and, you know, it pisses me off because Gandalf has been nothing but offhandedly rude to all of these characters and he keeps saving their asses i'm like i'm not going to like a character just because he's the savior of the day he needs to earn it and he has not earned it like he just he keeps just dissing on the dwarves and dissing on I, okay not gonna get into my gandalf spiel because he's not even in this chapter but i hate i hate that I hate that man. I hate that wizard. <laughs> so, they all have to take turns in groups of four carrying Bomber's body. And one day, after a couple long days of doing this, trudging through the forest, Thorin completely snaps and decides that the only way they're getting out of here alive anytime soon is if one of them climbs to the tops of the trees and shows them which direction to head towards. And they all immediately nominate Bilbo because of how light and limber he is. And the narrator notes that Bilbo has never had an affinity for climbing trees, which is an excellent callback to Dory saving his ass back with the wargs. Like, I just love that this is the second occurrence in this book that Bilbo's like, the worst person at climbing trees, and it's getting him into a. But of course, he's the one they send to climb the tree. 
Oh, yeah, because they don't want to fucking do it. Everything. <laughs> Bilbo is the punching bag of the group. Everything that the yeah. group wants to do and they don't want to do, they're like, oh, yeah, Bilbo, do the grunt work for us, please. <laughs> so Bilbo is getting slapped around by all these branches and worries about spiders in the trees, which is the third damn time this chapter mentioned spiders. They have to come back in a more significant way. Wink, wink, hint, hint. Uh, and... <laughs> And lo and behold, he finds them. But, quote, they are only small ones of ordinary size, which heavily implies, Tolkien, the existence of not-so-ordinary-sized spiders. The fact that he says twice, oh yeah, these spiders, they are small and very ordinary-sized. Do not worry. They are normal spiders. Normal, normal spiders. Just beating you yes, over of course. the Did I mention these are not... Giant spiders. Yeah. These are. <laughs> Don't worry. These spiders completely normal. Totally not foreshadowing the fact that there will be not so normal spiders coming up. Yes, of course. <laughs> Thank you, narrator. Um, Bilbo finally gets to the top of the tree, and half this chapter, the narrator has been alluding to how close they are from getting out of the forest. But Bilbo, for all his best efforts, can't see anything in any direction. Because he wasn't looking hard enough? Like, sorry, book, you don't get to have your cake and eat it too. You just described how good Bilbo's eyes apparently are, and now, when he's at the top of the trees, he can't see the way out of the forest. This is bullshit and rapid switch <laughs> of character for narrative's sake and narrative's sake only. I do not like it. <laughs> I'm, I'm yeah. sorry. I'm gonna put that out there. I'm sorry. <laughs> no. It's a fair point. Um, I do think that, like, with this part, uh, with him climbing up, there's something that's, like, I don't know what the right word is, but there's something that I think is really interesting about how he climbs up and at the top of the trees, you know, there's sunshine and butterflies and it's kind of beautiful, even though he can't see where it ends. Mm -hmm. Yes. It, and it's, like, it's warm and it's, like, I think it's just so interesting that it's, like, all these things that are comforting. Mm-hmm. And right it's so before, close to them this whole time. Right before the but danger. Like, it's just so, right before the danger, but also, like, it's so comforting and it's so close to them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's while like, they're, like, just in the darkness. Yeah, that is. It's just out of reach. And I think the that there's something very yeah. thematically interesting about that. Yeah, for sure. Especially, like, looking back on it now, now that I know what happens immediately after this occurrence, like, it is very <laughs> much the calm before the storm for Bilbo. Like, while yeah. I was reading it, I was like, why is this happening? Why is why is Bilbo just, like, playing with butterflies up in trees? Um, but it, I mean, finding out what happens after really puts it into a new context, which I'm very snarky about the littlest things in this children's book. But I do keep in mind that, yes, these things are happening for narrative purposes. I, I understand. <laughs> So Bilbo climbs back down out of the tree after the blissful experience that he just had and informs the crew that he did not see anything. And they are understandably very upset. And worse yet, they've run out of food. Uh, but big surprise, Bomber's alive! And <laughs> I'm sorry, but I love that immediately after they announce that they've run out of food is when Bomber wakes up. Not only because Bomber is the fat one, but also because of the inconvenience of the fact that they now have one more mouth to feed. <laughs> like, I just, I love that Tolkien is beating you over the head with the dumb luck that the dwarves are ha having right now. Now this, 
Mirkwood is just everything goes wrong. Everything goes wrong, and it, it is for quite a long time. <laughs> so Bomber, believe it or not, manages to top Bilbo in the complaining contest. He is screeching in agony for multiple pages about the dreams that he was having when he was asleep of food and long paths with lit torches and large feasts and all this bullshit. Like... I can't, like, ah, it's just, there is a startlingly large amount of complaining in this story. And yes, I know it's a children's book. I know that's why it's repetitive. I know it was written for kids. But sometimes it does get a little bit on my nerves. Yeah, no, I get it. I just, can I just point out for a moment? Oh, go um, ahead. Go ahead. I just think it's funny, especially because, like, I think now, with, like, today's culture, we're a little more, like, body conscious. But can I just point out? How often Bomber just gets fat shamed and just so gets shit bad, on for being dude. fat. It's so <laughs> bad. Like, it's like every time he's mentioned, there was Bomber. Did I mention he is fat and yeah. overweight? <laughs> it's literally like every time Bomber is mentioned, someone, either the narrator or someone in the crew, just goes, Bomber, the fat one. And <laughs> nobody brings it up. It's just that is his personality trait. He likes food. And <laughs> this, it doesn't make. Well, I guess it kind of does make fun of him for being fat, but, I mean, it's just, I, I don't know. I think he's lovable and amazing, and I'm sorry that Tolkien felt the need to fat shame you, Bomber. I love you. It's okay. We apologize, Bomber. <laughs> we, as a collective group of fantasy nerds, apologize to Bomber specifically. <laughs> <laughs> so... For the second time in this book where someone has fortune teller dream powers, Bomber goes on about the dreams that he's been having about lit torches, which is really oddly specific I have written down at that moment. And just ahead of them, they see a path with lit torches and many red and orange lights. But it is way off of their track. And as I have mentioned like four times in the last episode, they keep on beating the dwarves over the head with do not go away from the path. Like, Gandalf said it, Bayorn said it, Thorin said it. Everyone's like, no, you need to stay on the path. And I, I said in the last episode, I'm like, that definitely means that they are going to not stay on the path. And, oh boy, I was right. Yay. What <sighs> is it about characters and stories where it's just like, they'll give this one rule, it's just, hey, just by the way, don't get off the path, and they're like, I'm going to get off the path. I think that rule is like, foreshadowing and narrative purpose, um, but it still pisses me off. Like, it's like, it's the simplest rule. Do not leave the path. It's, but no, of course not. It's the classic horror movie premise of do not go into the basement, and they do. It's been, it's being, it's been being used for decades <clears> now. <laughs> so, uh... <laughs> I'm just, I'm sorry, I, this podcast is usually very, very, like, format and very story time, like, very story focused, but I just want to take a moment to note what I have written down here, which is, no, 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 spiders, big, scary, chonky spider, no, 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 please, no. <laughs> that is exactly what I have written in my notes. <laughs> Sometimes I'm doing these episodes and I'm reading my notes and I'm being like, 
what exactly did I mean when I wrote this thought? <laughs> what did no, 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 big chonky spider, no, no, mean? I think I was trying to comment on the fact that, <laughs> that I obviously know that something bad is about to happen and nobody else in the party is realizing it. Like, come on, you guys. Have some foresight, please. But alas, <laughs> this is a children's fantasy book. So we continue on. They uh, travel towards the source of the light and see many people in the path having a large feast. And I was very confused by this. Is this a hallucination? Are they all going nuts? Is there some kind of magic spell? This is not answered for another chapter. And it is very strange because these are the first creatures other than fucking chaos deer that we have met in the and forest. Hand moths. Oh, and giant terrifying hand moths. Yes, absolutely. So, of course, as they move closer to the feast, all of the lights go out and they are stuck in the middle of a pitch black clearing and then after a while, they see more torches light up farther and farther into the forest, obviously leading them into a trap. But nobody sees it coming. <sighs> I'm just, just, I'm infinitely growing frustrated, more and more frustrated with this group. But I, I guess we will, we will move on. Um, and yeah, this is the most obvious trap. Thorin, Thorin especially, you should be smarter than this. Like, come on, dude. You have gone on many an adventure. You should know how this shit works. <clears throat> Uh, but alas, the whole group goes after the torches and the feast and everything goes dark once again. And Bilbo, without hope, after a long time of searching for the others, lays down to take a nap. Which is the worst fucking decision ever. Oh yeah, it's they... just weird law. Maybe, yeah. leading, maybe, maybe heading towards the trap. Nap time. Yeah, I mean, but, like, they, they, it does say, like, they spend, like, an hour searching for each other in the dark, which, I, such an obvious... I, mean, I guess at some point, it's like, what are you going to do? But... Yeah, such an obvious narrative trap, but it does make for a very intense chapter. Like, I am harping on this quite a bit, but I am really, really enjoying this chapter. It's it's very spooky, it's very Halloween, and I love it. As, as a Halloween connoisseur, I'm a huge fan of the atmosphere of this chapter. So No, yeah, no, it's great. The atmosphere, the mm. dread. Oh, it's so, Love so it. well done. So <laughs> when he wakes, ding, 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 giant fucking spider. Um, he is being... What? I know, I didn't see it coming at all. <laughs> it wasn't like the chapter title and the totally normal-sized spiders haven't been foreshadowing this for multiple pages. Um, <laughs> what? So... Bilbo is being wrapped up in spider silk, and he gets super fucking badass all of a sudden and pulls out his blade, frees himself from the spider silk, and stabs this spider through the middle? Holy shit, when did Bilbo learn to do this? Oh my god, like, I... Love this character shift in Bilbo. I, I'll go in later as to what I think caused this, because it could be a number of things. But, like, Bilbo really does get his hero moment uh, in these two chapters. And it's really... He does. He's really starting to shine, and right now it's coming out of 
entirely left field, but like I'm here for it. Like holy shit! Like you just murdered a spider in cold blood. Jesus Christ! No. Yeah, and I think that like, I mean, I think really that's kind of more than anything else. Like, yes, there's this whole journey, but I think that like really at the heart of this story, yes. right, is that like there's this whole idea that like Bilbo, right? Mm-hmm. He sits around and he smokes. Kind of and he eats a bunch of food. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's yeah, he's kind of a loser. Yep. But I think this idea is that like it's not that this is coming out of nowhere. Yeah. I think it's this the idea that like whether you want to say it's because his family's a toque or whatever, I think it's this idea that like there's the potential to be a hero yes. in anyone. Mm-hmm. And it's you know, because it's coming from this like sort of unremarkable place. Yeah. And that's kind of a recurring theme in this entire series is hobbits, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. They drink. They smoke, they're fat, they dance, they sing, they don't do anything. Yeah. But, but yeah, there is like, the potential for that, so much more. Yeah. There's potential for greatness in even the smallest, most unlikely creatures. And I think that the idea is that the greatness is there in him. It's just that this story is really him, like, oh, yeah, embracing that. Yeah. We'll talk about this a lot later when he <clears throat> gets into his, like, far more, like, crazy hero duties that he does in these two chapters. But I I use the words out of left field quite often. I understand that it's not necessarily entirely that. It's just, you know, it's... There is character motivation and character uh, building there, but it is it is unexpected. And it yeah. when, when you... Gosh, when you reflect back on it, like, as I'm doing now, I'm realizing, oh, holy shit, that is actually really fucking cool. And I really love how he does this and how he goes about it. And uh, actually, I have written down a quote from the chapter because while I did make fun of it, this this shift right here where he kills the spider is definitely what changes Bilbo. It, it is the turning point for his character and the... The book has a really great way of putting that, so here we go. This made a great difference to Mr. Baggins. He felt a different person, much fiercer, much bolder, in spite of his empty stomach. Which, that whole sentence just put a big grin on my face while I was reading it. I've been complaining about Bilbo extensively for the last three episodes, the last eight chapters, but this is the moment. This is where he gets it. He yes. nods approvingly at himself, uh, and like he he just understands that like oh okay this is what I need to do this is what I need to do to not be a loser this is what I need to do to to step up my A game, and uh, he looks down at his blade uh, which he just used to fucking murder a spider, and he says I shall give you a name I will call you Sting, which. A, I didn't realize if he was talking about the sword or the dead spider at first. <clears throat> and I just think that's funny, the idea of him naming a dead spider. Uh, but no, but he <laughs> is talking about the sword. Uh, and B, it is good to know that Bilbo is still his dopey self that we all know and love, even if he is somewhat brave now. So, so. Can, I just, can I just take a moment, though? And just, like, for me anyway, um, first of all, thing is like a recurring thing. That's not really a big spoiler. This it, yeah, the it's a thing re- you recurring... thing will follow you throughout this series. Okay. Um, but <clears throat> to me, what I love about this this moment, I think it's significant. Like, yes, it's dopey a little bit. Oh no, it's but, incredibly like, significant. Yeah. I'm just saying. But if you remember, Bilbo as a character yeah. is dopey. Yeah. <laughs> but like, if you remember, um, I believe it's chapter three when they're in Rivendell. Mm-hmm. Um, 
when they're sitting down talking about the swords and they're like, oh, this is, you know, this is Orcus, right? Which yes. is, I think it's the Goblin Cleaver. Yes, um, I, I, or the orc, I, I'm and then, not entirely sure about the specific sword names, but um, yeah. yeah, Elrond. It's Orcus does... and then Glamdring, and okay. Glamdring's the foe hammer. And they, you know, they're these legendary swords where they're like, you know, it's this idea that like, because they have a name, there's history and it's heroic and it like brings yeah. this aura of like bravery and heroism and, mm-hmm. you know, legend. And that's why I think it's so significant. Is it's that, world like, building. It really is. Yeah. <clears throat> it's world building. Yeah. And it's like you are seeing, you know, this mm-hmm. sword that then will follow you. This isn't getting its name. It became Sting. It is now the stuff of legend. It's a heroic object. And I think that that's really cool and sort of solidifies Bilbo's moment of going from loser hobbit oh, to yeah. hero. Yeah, and that's what I have written. Like, this is the turning point for him and his character and his entire life story and that 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 point that you made about like him naming it that that's what might be a small insignificant moment to to Bilbo or in the story is giving it history is giving it context and world building and I, I that that was a very cool point you just made I I will yeah. I will look at that moment like I already highlighted that moment as a as a good moment in the story but that was that was a very you are it's very so, it's huge you are very right and I I definitely give a lot more credit to Bilbo in these two chapters than I have previously because he he really does step up his game and it is really really cool to see that like I was worried that when he becomes a hero for instance he would turn into like a Thorin type where it's like emotionless and like you know all business all battle and no he's still the lovable dopey hero or yeah. lo- lovable dopey weirdo that we all know and love him to be but he's also like he he gets his hero moment, and I really love that. So uh, moving on, uh, Bilbo makes a blind guess as to what direction to go in next and find the rest of the group, and he is hearing the whispering of the spiders talking about kidnapping and trapping the dwarves above him, which is so scary. Like once again, completely like props to Tolkien for the atmosphere of these two chapters. It is really really well done. So he keeps hearing the spiders talking about kidnapping and trapping all of the dwarves until he looks up and sees that all 13 of them have been wrapped in silk and covered in spiders. And each of the dwarves has one giant spider on top of them about to eat them. And Bilbo breaks out probably the most badass move of the book so far and starts rapid fire chucking stones at each one of the spiders. Like, and the first thing that came to my mind is that scene in Elf with the snowballs on the bridge. Do you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> where, where Will Ferrell just rapid fire just grabs a bunch of snow and just do 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 like a machine gun just starts chucking snowballs at all these bullies. That is exactly what is happening and if the movie doesn't play it exactly like this i will be very upset well, hear me out for a moment tell me hear me out for a moment okay okay please okay so lord of the rings right we have elves right yes elf we have elves right yes, we have elves mm-hmm. bilbo has curly hair bilbo does have curly hair yes oh are you <laughs> will ferrell has curly hair will ferrell does are you implying that will ferrell is a hobbit or that elf takes place in the hobbit universe what are you implying <laughs> i am implying that elf is actually the origin story of bilbo before the hobbit <laughs> bilbo yeah it turns out that hobbits aren't actually three feet tall when they're born they start out no. 
they start out being a six foot tall Will Ferrell and then slowly they, they all start as Will Ferrell specifically. <laughs> they all burst out as Will <laughs> comedy legend Will Ferrell. Yes, of course. Slowly begin to develop their own personalities. They shrink. Oh, they geez. become fatter. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, honestly, headcanon. It <clears throat> that that's how it happens now. No, 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 no. Real canon. Real canon. <laughs> Sorry, excuse me. So, um, Bilbo is leading these spiders on a mad chase because after he is chucking all these stones at him. Uh, Bilbo just makes a complete run for it and is being followed by dozens and dozens of spiders of various sizes. And I keep saying this is the most terrifying thing to happen in the book so far, but this is the scariest thing in the book, is Bilbo running at breakneck speed and like looking behind him and there is just leagues of spiders just crawling after him at max speed, like swinging from trees like Spider-Man, doing flips, like trying to bite him. Oh, that, uh, mm, it's, it's so well done. I love it. A I love it so much. <laughs> no, yeah. It's terrifying. Yep. And in my notes, I have written, Holy shit, am I actually rooting for Bilbo right now? Oh my god, go Bilbo, this is awesome. Which, yes it is past me, yes it is. No, I felt, no, I remember feeling the same way when I read it, where I was just like, oh my god, he, he's not doing anything. He is. And yeah. I, I remember, like, I remember, like, my dad told me to walk, to read it, and, like, he told me kind of what had happened because when I was little, I was just like, tell me about it, right? Mm -hmm. And but I was just like, how is he a hero? He's so lame. I was like, he's not doing anything. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, wait, hold up. I know. <laughs> it's such a cool change. It really is. Yeah. So he manages to finally lose the spiders after that epic chase when he draws his blade and kills a second giant spider in one day and circles back and attempts to loosen all of the dwarves from their spidery prisons. And freaking James middle name Bilbo Bond all of a sudden manages to free all but five of the dwarves who are uh, all the dwarves that he did manage to free are all sick with spider poison until the spiders come back looking for revenge and try to take Bomber away with them, which poor Bomber has been in so much trouble in these last couple days of the journey. Poor Bomber has just been beaten over the head. He has been through so much in just this short couple pages. And I just, oh my gosh. He is, he was already one of my favorite dwarves for the remarks that he made. I think he might be my, my, uh, my second favorite dwarf as of, as of this chapter. He is so sweet. I love him so much. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. So they try to take away Bomber, and Bilbo does not let this happen. He is slashing through spider after spider. He murders seven of them before getting to Bomber and freeing him, his sword, quote, gleaming with delight. Bilbo Baggins, you tricky motherfucker. I love you. This, this is the moment. This is the chapter. Like, hallelujah, editing me, put in... <laughs> Put in as much of a, as much of a clip of Hallelujah in the in the podcast as you can without being copyright claimed. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 
because this is the moment. I'm so happy. I'm so happy, dude. <clears throat> so, a truly epic battle of dwarves versus spiders ensues, with Bilbo Baggins, of all people, or of all hobbits, calling the shots. The same Bilbo Baggins, who four chapters ago nearly got the entire crew killed by trolls, and let them struggle to get into a cave for 30 minutes before revealing that he had a key to it the entire fucking time, which I'm <laughs> still so mad about. And also, three chapters before he gets it in Riddles in the Dark, he finally puts the ring to good use and slips it on while he's fighting the spiders to the astonishment of the rest of the crew and begins running around invisible, mocking the spiders and knocking them out from behind. Which is so... I love Bilbo so much now. I, I take back every poor word I have ever said about this small little hobbit um he's awesome he's yes. awesome he's really cool in these first in these two chapters so we get the incredibly corny line from him as he's as he's killing these spiders we get the incredibly corny line of i'll be the one doing the stinging today which just it sounds like a batman villain line it just sounds like oh batman like you You'll get it now. Like it's so, it's so corny. But that is what we've come to expect from this book, and I love it. So, uh, they find a clearing where they can finally stop and rest. And all of the dwarves just uh, sit Bilbo down and go, "Bitch, since when could you turn invisible?" <laughs> like they're all understandably very confused and very upset by this. They're like. When was this in your power set? Why have you not shared it with us up to this point? <laughs> like, I I do not understand. But You know, it kind of doesn't make sense. He's like, oh, I found a ring that can make me go invisible. Yeah. Not going to mention it. Just going to wait. Yeah, it, it really does beg the question as to why he kept the, like, why he kept the information of the ring away from the dwarves in the first place. Like, he could have totally told them all about this ring, and I don't understand why he doesn't. It's so confusing to me, but I, I guess we're just going to have to to live with that. Because the thing is, is that well, the, the dwarves are so stoked to hear this news. They're like, oh, you got a magical artifact? Fucking awesome. Like, there's no repercussions for him telling them about this. <laughs> what, I, what I will say is that... Um, yes. Given a few things. One, um, you know how, like, Gollum was very intent on finding the ring? He was upset about it oh, when yes. Bilbo had it. Oh, yes. Um, okay, so that sort of obsession with the ring is not unique to him. Um, yeah. And that's not really, again, not really a big thing, but, like, I think as the series goes on, you'll see, oh. Yeah. Him being nervous about talking about the ring and making other people aware of it makes sense, I guess. Yeah, I, the more I, that I think about it, we discuss this a bit in the previous chapter too, um, or in the previous episode where um, Jackie, my guest for that episode, mentioned like because I was going on complaining about some of the convenience of some of the things that are happening, or like because um, <laughs> they're they're going along the side of a mountain and then all of a sudden there's just a giant fucking avalanche. Um, and I, was, I, I was like, why the fuck does this happen? And she brought to my attention that uh, you know that that he has the ring 
and you also know that the ring is evil at some point. Just just keep that in mind. That that there yeah. might there might be something else going on behind the scenes, and that really oh, there are much bigger things going on. Yeah, and yeah. that really made me reconsider every single convenient thing that has ever happened to this group since he got the ring. I'm like, hmm, is that what's going on there? So... No, I think that like what I what I love about this about what I think is cool about the book is that it has the ring. Yes, and it has Sting. Mm-hmm. And Sting isn't nearly as plot important as the ring. Yes. But, like, it sets up these objects that are going to follow you the whole way through, mm-hmm. but you don't realize how significant they are in the moment. Like, yeah. he finds this little, you know, dinky sword, and he's like, oh, I'm going to take this. And you're like, okay, cool. He's <laughs> like, I'm going to name it Sting now. And you're like, okay, cool. And, and then, then three books later, it you're like, oh, that was more. badass. <laughs> yes. Um. Yeah, like, I made a comment in episode, uh, or in chapter five, when he finally gets the ring. I'm like, why is the ring appearing in the book that is not even titled The Lord of the Rings? Like, that, I, I don't understand that. Well, he, here's the thing. People try to claim, like, I remember reading somewhere that Tolkien wrote The Hobbit as a one-off thing and didn't know he was going to be writing three more books about it, which is why it's kind of talked about separately from The Hobbit versus The Ring trilogy. But I'm having a really hard time believing that, because I don't know how accurate that information is, or I don't know if maybe they inserted in foreshadowing later. Um, or I it... actually don't know for sure. Um, yeah. I know that, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, I know that he fought in the World Wars. Yes. It is possible that he wrote The Hobbit before World War II and then went to war and then came back and wrote The Lord of the Rings. Interesting. So, yeah. I not don't do not quote me on that, but <laughs> yeah, or so I guess you're recording a, me, but maybe that has a different but, perspective of it on it for sure. Yeah. Or even the fact that that is true and he didn't intend to write The Lord of the Rings trilogy or if that is true that um that what separates The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings is a real-world tragedy that was World War II, um, which does also make a lot of sense. The fact that it is so coherent narratively and that all of these things do come back in The Lord of the Rings just speaks to Tolkien's credibility and um, talent as a writer, too. Like, the fact that I am having a hard time believing that all of this wasn't written before the Lord of the Rings trilogy just because I know that all of these things come back. Like that is just, that, that's just really cool. So to answer your question, the Hobbit was written in 1937. Yes. Um, Lord of the Rings. Hang on. Let me just make sure that I'm getting this number, this number, right. Okay. Go ahead. Um, fellowship wasn't published. The first Lord of the Rings book wasn't published until 1954. Oh yeah. So that is a significant time gap. Yeah. yeah. World war two <laughs> happened in between. Wow. Which I think, in terms of like the contents of the book, I think is significant. Yeah, no, I think it's. Sure. I think the Lord of the Rings are a lot heavier, mm-hmm. and it's a lot more about you know darkness falling on the world and war and. Oh yeah. I think that certainly that probably reflects his experiences. Despite but, the fact that this is about crazy fantasy things, there are a lot of real world parallels. Like we talk in episode yeah. two about the real world parallels of race and uh, you know relations between the races and all the that nonsense and and here i mean it, it makes sense that the lord of the rings trilogy is a lot darker and a lot less for children so yeah um, exactly 
So separating on from that tangent, we <laughs> we had a nice long tangent about Tolkien's talent as a writer, which is always welcome. Uh, this is a Lord of the Rings podcast after all. But moving on to uh, the actual book itself. So yes, um, at all that aside, after... Uh, they are free relatively from the spiders. The dwarves begin asking all the usual questions. Uh, how do we get out? How do we find food? Where are we? But this time, they are asking them of Bilbo and not just complaining out into the ether, which I think is a really cool way of showing that there has been a power dynamic. The dwarves trust Bilbo now. They see him as a leader of sorts. They are asking him these questions, which is great. But hold on, I have written in my notes. He still has left some of the dwarves in the spider's clutches. Where the hell is Thorin? I feel I feel like I'm on fucking Elmo or Dora right now. I'm like, uh-oh, where's Thorin? Because I'm asking all the important questions directly before they are being asked in the book. Um, <laughs> yeah, because I the reason I noted this is because there's been a change in leadership. I have written, I bet Thorin does not feel too great about this, about the fact that Bilbo is now the de facto leader. But we don't get to figure out what Thorin finds about this, because Thorin has gotten left behind. Dun dun dun! <laughs> Alright there, Austin, time out. This has been fun, but you've been talking for far too long. So I think we are going to have to split this episode up into two parts. Me and Aiden will be back next week to discuss the latter half of Chapter 8 and Chapter 9. I'm very sorry uh, for the wait, everybody, but this has been uh, such a great time to discuss this chapter with you. Thank you so much for coming on. Do you have yeah. any, Do you have any parting words before we move on to chapter nine, or before we um, before next week? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I appreciate you bringing me on. I I really enjoy this. It's sort of fun to just talk about something that I love and that I'm really passionate about, and that is like a big part of like yeah, no, my sure. childhood. Um, yeah, and so I really enjoy this. Childhood. This is fun. Yeah, yeah, uh, I think it's awesome, <laughs> and uh, I'm glad you're enjoying it. I am, I um, am. It 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 can often seem like I'm complaining about the smallest little things, but I really I want to make it clear to everyone listening, I am highly enjoying this experience. I really am. <laughs> no, yeah, and I also think that like, and um, I believe that you said this before, um, but also just very fast also tying in like what you were saying were earlier about the centaurs and the elves where you're like knock on jk rowling yeah. i think that like um i think that that just sort of goes to show it's like yeah i mean she borrowed from that but i think it's just also like again i think you said before you see all those things where you're like oh i recognize these things from these other books mm -hmm. and then you remember that's because this is the book, yeah, you know? Yeah, that's because this is the one, you know? And yeah. th this is the blueprint, and I'm finally, finally diving my way through it. So thank you so much for discussing Chapter 8 with me. This is the first first episode where it has been only one chapter, which is surprising considering that Chapter 5 uh, existed. But this has been really, really fun to dive into it with you. Thank you, listeners, for listening. Thank you, Aiden, for guesting. The Search for Middle-Earth was hosted, written, and edited by Austin Savat. It is produced by Austin Savat. Original concept and format credit goes to Mike Schubert, and the music is by Patrick Moonbird. Thank you all so much for listening, and have a surprisingly heroic Gandalf-free day.